Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the time of year that we call Christmas, where we celebrate the incarnation of our Lord who came to save sinners. Has he come to save any one of us then? Do you understand yourself to be a sinner in need of a Savior? Well, that's what Christmas is all about. Last week, we kind of gave emphasis to that. You might remember when we considered uh, the idea or the truth that Christmas can only properly be understood in light of the Word of God. It can only be understood in light of the Word of God. And what we meant by that was essentially this, that whatever else Christmas is by way of a secular holiday and whatever else Christmas is by way of your personal memories of joy with families and friends, Christmas is all about that great fact that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. A Christmas passage, we might say. And so again, we gave great emphasis to that last week. We took a look at the fact that we really cannot understand, again, anything about ourselves apart from the light of the <coughs> Word of God, which informs us why Christmas is necessary. You remember what we saw concerning ourselves from the passages of Scripture that we looked at. We looked at that passage in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, which speaks of the depravity and the wickedness of our hearts. We also took notice of the fact that we really cannot understand the ministry of Christ apart from the prophetic light given in the Old Testament. And we tried to trace out some of the great Old Testament prophecies that speak to us about the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ and the nature of his ministry as well. And then we closed out last week with an emphasis that you and I, we need Christmas. Yes, Christmas is a joyous time. Christmas is a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, we need Christmas. We need the incarnation of the Son of God come into the world to save sinners. Well, I hope and I pray that then you see and understand why I said that we need the light of the Word of God to understand what Christmas is all about. Well, what I want to do today is I want to take a look at the passage of Scripture that uh, Rick read this morning, uh, particularly in verses 26 through uh, 38. So if you'll take your Bibles and go back to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. This passage of Scripture is known classically as the Annunciation. <clears throat> it is at the uh, place in the Gospel account where Gabriel appears uh, to Mary uh, before uh, she was married to Joseph and, uh, and promises to her, declares to her the great work that God will do in and through her. And so the passage of scripture again has much by way of personal warmth. Uh, there's much by way of a very, very significant uh, theological truth that's here, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, much there, much as I said before, by way of what we might call human interest. Uh, the tenderness of the angel coming to Mary and speaking to her and encouraging her, encouraging her. So there's much to be seen there. But what I want to do here in this passage of scripture here today is I want to take a look again, not at the at the significant role that Mary plays. And in one sense, if if you were to ask me, well, what's verses 26 through 38 all about? And I would I would say that really the, the focus is on Mary as a person. Uh, theologically, it's on the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it would be right to focus on those. And, and in some sense, maybe it would be uh, not the best handling of Scripture if I didn't focus on those things. But one particular passage caught my eye and my mind this week as I was preparing. And that was verse 37, where the words of Gabriel, when Gabriel says to Mary, For with God nothing shall be impossible. As I was reading this uh, in, the, in, the, in the early part of the week, I looked over, I saw that there was a note in my Bible into the margin, the marginal reference. And in the margin, it says this in that phrase, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. The margin says this, for no word of God shall be without power. No word of God shall be without power. That's beautiful. 
That's phenomenal. And what it speaks to us is the reality of the power of God displayed at Christmas. The power of God displayed, again, in the incarnation. And so what I hope to do here this morning is to set before you that great truth. I'm going to sum it up in the following proposition. That Christmas reminds us that God is able to do all things in order to save his people. God makes the impossible possible by way of his omnipotent power. And so what I want to do by way of kind of emphasizing this, I want to take a look at the great reality of the omnipotence of God. We're going to see that all the way through Scripture, this, this, this is affirmed of God, that he can do all things, that nothing is impossible with God. As a matter of fact, one of the great hymns in heaven is, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. And so this idea of the omnipotence of God in and of itself is worthy to be considered. But now combine it together with everything that you understand about Christmas. Christmas, again, is an impossibility. This is why skeptics mock. This is why people who are unbelievers but kind of kind will go along with Christmas. They think, again, Christmas, all this idea that, that God himself should come into the world to save sinners. What kind of a story is this? But again, what the believer understands is this. God, who can do all things has brought his divine and omnipotent power to bear in order to save this sinner, in order to save each and every one of us. You see, again, Christmas reminds us of God's ability, God's omnipotent power to save sinners. And so I hope to work through this passage of Scripture. Actually, uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at the idea of God's divine omnipotence in general. We're going to see, as I said before, this is, a, this is a, one of the great hallmarks of the attributes of God. Uh, again, over and over again, we see it in Scripture. We're also going to take a look at the fact that what we see in this passage of Scripture is not only the, the omnipotence of God generally considered, we're going to see the omnipotence of God specifically considered in this passage. There are things in this passage that point us to and bring to the surface the omnipotence of God. Much of them will have to do, again, not just with the virgin birth, that's in one sense the capstone of the omnipotence that we're going to see here, but the other things that we see here as well, the idea that God, through the, through the process of history, brought the Messiah from the seed of David. This seed of David, this royal line that one, at one time was, was highly significant and one time was, was very much a, a very healthy, we might say, in the process of time and in the process of history was brought to a very low estate. There's a reason why when Isaiah prophesied of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I, uh, he said a root shall, shall come from Jesse as a, as a root out of dry ground. The seed of David was almost, uh, was almost completely extinguished. And there was, there was Joseph, the, a, descendant of a, the, a descendant of a king. Joseph, again, who maybe in other situations, if we can say it that way, may have, been on, may have been on a throne in the throne room, was now found in a carpenter shop. Oh, how things had seemingly changed. And what we're going to see here is that God's divine omnipotence preserved that line. And God's divine omnipotence brought about in this little virgin, the very savior of the world. Oh, you see, Christmas reminds us that God's divine omnipotence comes to bear in our situation. He comes to bear in your situation, in my situation. So we're going to see divine providence and divine, excuse me, divine omnipotence in general. We're going to see divine omnipotence specific to the text. Then the last thing I want you to know and understand is that Christmas reminds us that the that divine omnipotence has been displayed to bring about the salvation of your soul. 
Is your salvation something that you understand to be an utter impossibility apart from the divine power of God in Christ? Too often times we, we think of religion as just a, a human decision that we make. Well, I've decided to be this or I've decided to be that. I'll, 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 I'll go to this church or I'll go to that church. I'll be identified with this group of people or that group of people. I'll incorporate this kind of principle for living. That's not salvation. Salvation is the divine power of God brought to bear upon your soul. Do you see your salvation that way? And so this passage of scripture, why? Because no word of God shall be without power. For what is impossible with man is possible with God. So by God's grace, we're going to take a look at each one of these things as we consider the passage of scripture. Well, again, from this passage of scripture, we have, again, just as an aside, before we get into the outline itself, from this passage of scripture, we really have what becomes in, in, in the process of history, uh, one of the great uh, lines within the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, you, you remember, reads as follows, at least in the beginning, I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. That's exactly what we have in this passage of scripture here today. And so again, this idea that, there's, uh, that uh, God is able to do the impossible, that no word from God shall be without power. I'm, I'm reminded, uh, even just by way of thinking of that, I'm reminded of at least two passages of Scripture. I think of uh, how, how Abraham responded uh, when God uh, came to him and, and gave the promise of a, ch uh, of a son coming. And you might remember again that in, in, in the book of Romans, uh, as Paul recounts uh, Abraham's experience, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 4, verse 21? It's a great passage of scripture. Romans chapter 4, verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he, what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And being fully persuaded. And I want you to hear that in the context of Christmas. I want you to hear that in the context of your salvation. That what God has promised, he is able to fulfill. He is fully able to fulfill, you see. Another passage of scripture, a passage of scripture that we should all know very well because it's on, the, it's, on, it's on our bulletins every week from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So shall my word that goeth forth out of, my, uh, out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereinto I sent it. You see, no word of God shall be without power. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad you can hold on to the word of God and all the life's twists and turns? You have the certainty of the word of God to stand on. So again, Christmas reminds us of the power of God to fulfill his word, even when it seems impossible. Now, I do want this to be our focus this morning for the following reasons. You know, and I know if we hold to scripture that there are things yet future that certainly the unbelieving world would, that would say would be impossible have come to pass. There are things that God has promised that are still yet future that the unbelieving world would deny. Part of those great promises are the judgment that is coming upon this world. I say promise. Part of the great prophecies are the judgment that is coming upon this world. Another one of the promises that we see is the return of Jesus Christ for his church. Another thing that we see promised in the word of God is the establishment of Christ's kingdom upon this earth. And I want you to know and I want you to understand that in light of the fact that Christmas reminds us of the power of God to fulfill his word, when we look to those things that are yet to come that the word of God has promised, don't lose hope, don't lose sight, rest on those promises you see. Why? Because no word of God shall be without power. I want this to be our focus this morning because there are things present 
that seem impossible in your life and in my life. But I want you to know that with God, nothing shall be impossible. Or again, no word from God shall be without power. Many of you are here, you're holding on to present promises of God. Many of you are here, again, you're resting and trusting in a word that God, again, in a, very, in, in, in a way that's somewhat unique, in a way that, that maybe only you can explain, that God has, has revealed something in his word to you, and, and that promise, you have attached yourself to that promise, or that, that promise has been attached to you. And I want you to know, and I want you to understand, again, Christmas reminds us that God himself shall bring about his divine omnipotence to bring things to pass in your life and in my life as well. Think again of the salvation of loved ones. Think again of difficulties that maybe be, might be looking at. Oh, I want you to hear this Christmas message that, re, that Christmas reminds us of the power of God to fulfill his word even when it seems impossible to do so. And then also I want you to, I want you to uh, uh, be mindful of this fact that this passage reminds us then that Christmas has come to us through the omnipotent power of God displayed in the virgin birth. And in the incarnation. It's a wonderful passage of scripture in front of us. Much by way of deep theology, the virgin birth and the incarnation. Much by way of tender human interest, uh, uh, the appearance of the angel to Mary and Mary's response. Uh, much there, but again, I want this passage of scripture, this Christmas sermon, to resonate with you in your current and present situation. Well, again, let's take a look, let's take a look then at our outline, and the first point being this. God's power to fulfill his word is seen throughout all of scripture. And we see this again by way of that fact of his divine omnipotence. And omnipotence has been defined in the following ways. That the omnipotence of God is the all-powerfulness of his nature and his unlimited ability to act according to his own perfect will. Again, this is uh, much, you can find much information on the omnipotence of God you probably can't pick up a theological handbook, a doctrinal handbook that's not going to address in some way, shape, or form uh, the reality of God's omnipotence. It is a wonderful truth to know. It's a wonderful truth to embrace. It very much gives us strength and courage. And so the idea of God's omnipotence, his unlimited power to do his will, to fulfill his will, and to bring about his purposes for his people, nothing can thwart the purposes of God. And while much can be said by way of a, uh, an academic and a, and a theological uh, presentation of the doctrine of, a, of, of divine omnipotence, I want to suggest the following to you. While it's right and proper to look at it that way, here we are as Christians, and here we are as children of God. So can I present the doctrine of, of divine omnipotence to you as a child of God? And can we think of the, of the omnipotence of God in the following way? that the omnipotence of God to the Christian is a father without limitation. That's what divine omnipotence is to you as a child of God. You have a father who has no limits. You have a father who's able to do all things. You have a father who's able to come alongside you and bear you up. You have a father who's able to send to you a savior who is Christ the Lord. You see again, divine omnipotence displayed in this passage of scripture and displayed throughout all of scripture. Now again, there are, there are passages again that we should all know uh, by way of, the, uh, by way of uh, uh, expressing the omnipotence of God. Uh, the first time that we see maybe a, a clear expression of it, uh, obviously we see it in creation itself, but the first time we see it uh, either ascribed to God or God ascribing it of himself is in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. And this again has to do with the birth of a son. 
It's kind of interesting to see how many times divine omnipotence is brought alongside of the fact of the impossibility to have children. And so what we see in this passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, God had made a promise to Abraham to have a child. And we, in, 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 what, in what we read by way of this dialogue that goes back and forth, uh, we, we read the following. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return unto thee, and, and according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Here again, the angel of the Lord is saying to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? You notice how he puts it, not by way of, a, of an academic statement, by, but by way of a challenge. God is challenging Abraham with this great truth. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And can you engage and can you, can you kind of enter into all the challenges of life that you face with this reality? Is there anything too hard for my Lord and my God, my Savior who loves me? Is there anything too hard? And we know the answer to that. No, there is not. We think of other passages of scripture that bring out the, uh, the omnipotence of God. Jer Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, a pa wonderful passage. Again, Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, oh, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thy stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. The confession of this prophet Jeremiah, there is nothing too hard for thee. Divine omnipotence, you see. And God responds to Jeremiah in the following way. And in Jeremiah 32, verse 27, he responds and says the following. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God challenges us with his own divine omnipotence. How will you respond? How will I respond? Will we become despondent? Oh, my situation is hopeless. I'm, I, my situation is such that yeah, I, I can never get out of this situation. Oh, you see and you understand that Christmas reminds us that divine omnipotence has come to bear upon your situation. Another passage of scripture is Zechariah chapter eight, verse six. Uh, the King James doesn't the King James doesn't bring it out as clear as maybe it should. But another translation in Zechariah chapter eight, verse six reads as follows: This is what the Lord of this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. All this may seem impossible to you now a small remnant of God's people. But is it impossible for me, says the Lord of hosts? Again, God challenging his people with his power. Luke chapter 18, verses uh, 25 through 27. You remember I, taught, I asked you the question, do you see your salvation as an impossibility apart from the omnipotence of God? And this question is based on the text that I'm about to read to you from Luke chapter 18, verses 25 and 27. It is easier to go for a camel to go through an idol's knee, a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when they heard it, they said, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You see what Christmas reminds us of. Job, at the end of the book, when he's being confronted by God and when Job is kind of being brought to, to, to his senses, if we can say, Job says this in Job 42, verse 2, I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. These are, these are foundational texts. These are beautiful texts, not only to think of in light of what Christmas is. These are beautiful texts, again, to, to arm ourselves for, 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 for life in all of its turns and all of its twists. There is nothing impossible with our God, the very God who, by way of his own divine power, brought Christ into the world in order that we can be saved. Oh, nothing is impossible with him. 
And as I said before, the great hymn of heaven in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. And as I heard, as it, and I heard as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters and the voice of many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You see, this is what Christmas reminds us of. When Gabriel says to Mary, for there, for enough for with me, for there, for, for nothing is impossible with God, or as I've said before, the note in the margin for, for no word of God shall be without power. Aren't you glad that that's when you come to consider Christmas, that's what you think of? You think of the almighty power of God brought to bear in sinful humanity's condition in order that God might save his people, in order that he might save you and save me. And I ask you the question like Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 32, he that spared not his own son, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? If God gave us his son, you don't think, he, you think he's going to leave us in the lurch somewhere? God will see you through. Christmas reminds us of that. And all these things again pointing us to the great fact of divine omnipotence being brought to bear in order that God might make possible what is impossible for man and humanity. And so again, that's the, that's the, the, the divine, uh, that's divine omnipotence generally considered as we see it on the pages of Scripture. The next thing I want you to consider with me now is, is, is divine omnipotence as we see it in this text. And we see it in a number of places. Look now at verses 32 and 33 of Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. Now again, here is the word of uh, Gabriel to uh, Mary, and we read the following. Well, let's start with verse 31, because this does involve the omnipotence of God. Verse 31, uh, And behold, uh, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Notice here now the specific that we have concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. There are basically three things that we see here. Number one, we see his divine nature. He shall be called the Son of God, the Son of the Highest. And we're going to see that, 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 uh, that Gabriel means that in the fullest sense of the term. It's not only an honorific title that is given to Jesus, it is actually uh, an expression of the, tr of the reality of his nature. And we're going to take a look at that. The second thing that we're going to see here is the, is, the, is the nature of his work. He is going to be, again, that royal descendant, that royal royal son of God that God had promised to David that again would rule and reign and we're also going to see the eternal aspect of that rule and reign but let's take a look at each of these each of these things that we see here Notice again in, in verse uh, 32, uh, as the angel speaks uh, to Mary, and he shall be called, uh, and he shall be called gra uh, great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, uh, be, and, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. The first thing that I want you to see here is by way of this designation of the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall be called great, and his name again, uh, and uh, he shall be called the Son of the Highest. Now I want you to see that this designation is the Son of the Highest, as I said just a moment ago, is not merely an honorific title. It's not a title of honor that may have been given to some great uh, person in the Old Testament, uh, some great, uh, uh, maybe it's sometimes a designation uh, of, a, of a king. That's not what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture. I would suggest to you very, very, very emphatically, as a matter of fact, I would even press upon you that you and I must understand that this designation of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, is revealing something of his essential nature. It is, it is, again, the, the bringing about of the fulfillment of what we see in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. 
When it says that he shall be the son of the highest, we are seeing here an expression that points to his own divine nature. And it's, it's interesting because we, we, we kind of, our, our minds are immediately brought to the passage that Rick read this morning from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Remember I made reference last week to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I used that expression, those cluster of titles that are gathered together uh, around the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 9, 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And, and again, all these things are designating uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's significant in that passage is that he is specifically called the Mighty God. Now, again, I want you to know and understand that this is referring to his divine nature. This is not merely a title of honor. It's referring to his divine nature. And the reason why I say that is because at least twice in the Old Testament, God himself is referred to as the mighty God. At least twice. We see this in two passages. Number one, we're not there, but if you were in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, if you would just go to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21, God himself, Yahweh, refers to himself as the mighty God. So that, that designation, the mighty God, is a reference to the divine nature that our Lord Jesus Christ possesses. But also, uh, but also what we see in Jeremiah chapter 28, I'm sorry, in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 18. Listen to what, uh, listen to what we read there. Jeremiah 32, verse 18. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, and recompense the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. That designation of Jesus as the mighty God is, is showing to us that when he is called the son of the highest, it is not merely an honorific title, a title of honor. It is, it is that which expresses the reality of his essential nature. Truly unto us. A son is given truly unto us. A child is born. You see the reality of the divine and human nature. Why is that? It is an expression of divine omnipotence coming in order that you and I might be saved. It is reminding us that at Christmas, God is doing the God is making the impossible possible in order to save sinners. And so again, in this passage of scripture itself, we see this evidence of the divine and the almighty power of God. The other way in which we see this, uh, this divine omnipotence uh, in the passage of scripture here is when, is, is when the angel Gabriel begins to kind of go over very quickly the promises that were made to David. Notice again here in verse 32, he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. The throne of his father David. Now, as I said in my, in, in my introduction, we, we know if we follow out and trace out the line of David in the Old Testament, that there were times when the line of David was just as, as, as healthy, if that's the right word to use, as, as vibrant as, as, as any royal family could, we could think of them being. Uh, there was Solomon in all of his glory. Stop and think, even the Lord Jesus Christ refers to Solomon that way. There was Solomon in all of his glory. There was this strength that attended the family line of David. But what we see happening by way of sin, by way of disobedience, by way of a number of factors, the line of David gets smaller and smaller, weaker and weaker. It even gets to the point where, because of sin, the line, the promises that were made to come through Solomon, Solomon's descendants, descendants had sinned so grievously that now the promises had to be shifted over to another one of David's sons. 
the son of Nathan. And that's how the, that's how the promise carries on for the fulfillment of the throne of David, a uh, descendant of the throne of David uh, reigning forever. And so, as I said before, the, the, the line of David was, a, was, in, was oftentimes in a very weakened state. We made reference again last week. I didn't do it as, as clearly as probably I should have, but in 2 Kings uh, chapter 11, Jehoshaphat, who again, who, who, who hides away uh, that little descendant of David, that little baby. And, 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 and we can say it this way, the royal line is reduced to one individual. It's amazing to see it come down in the process of history. And there we see Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary, Again, I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say impoverished Joseph and Mary. And I say that not because Joseph was a carpenter. I say that because of what we see in Luke chapter 2 when, when Mary goes to give the offering uh, for, in, in, for the presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the temple. She gives the, the poorer of the two offerings, the, the two doves. You see their, their condition and their estate. And so again, maybe Joseph, maybe Joseph throughout his life, who knows? And I don't like to speak where the scriptures speak, but just allow me this for, for a moment here. Maybe Joseph throughout his life thought, boy, I was, I'm, I'm a descendant of a king, and here I am in this little carpenter shop. I don't know, that would be, and I would almost be attributing uh, uh, maybe uh, attitudes that would be unworthy of Joseph, but you know how the mind works. You know how we think of what could have been, how many times we waste our thinking about that, oh, what could have been. And here was Joseph now again, this, this, the, the, this carpenter. Oh, how much it changed for the, for the condition and for the estate of the line of David. But like Isaiah said, out of Jesse, a root shall grow as out of dry ground. There was nothing again that would seem to be the one that would bring, that, 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 would, that would be a, a world ruler. But this is the promise that was made. And again, it was brought to fulfillment by way of divine omnipotence. Christmas reminds us that God is able to bring to pass all of his purposes on behalf of his people. Christmas reminds us that no word of God shall be thwarted. Christmas reminds us that no word of God is without power, you see. And so in this passage of scripture, again, we see much uh, that points us to uh, the, the omnipotence of God. The last thing I want you to see on this, uh, on this section, by the way, the specifics of the text, and, and there are many more that we could be touching upon, but we're just going to move along the, the, the points that I have uh, outlined here. The next thing I want you to see about this, these promises that are made and fulfilled, notice what we have here in, 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 verse, thir in verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Have you ever realized that Christmas is the ultimate political statement that's been made by God to humanity? Of his kingdom there shall be no end. It's not the kingdoms of this world. It's not the kingdoms of movers and shakers. It's not the kingdoms of mighty men and dictators. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate political statement. Christmas is a political statement. It is God, again, setting up his king on his holy hill. Others, again, may mock, but God will laugh. We Again, again stop and think of our passage from Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Christmas, a political statement. 
Psalm 2, verse 6, yet I, yet I have set my hill, I have set my king upon my holy hill. And what does God say to the rulers of this world? Be wise now, therefore, ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Kiss the Son. And isn't that what we do at Christmas? We kiss the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so again, the king has come to establish his kingdom. And so I ask you the question then, uh, along these lines, uh, with divine omnipotence, uh, all the way through, woven all the way through this text, and this may be a surprising statement that you've maybe never heard before concerning Christmas, that Christmas is the ultimate political statement. Do you believe that Christ's kingdom shall come and rule and reign on the earth as it's revealed in Scripture? And if not, I ask you the question, why not? Don't you remember that every word of God, that there shall be no word of God that, uh, without power? Every word of God has divine omnipotence attached to it. And so why would we doubt? Why would we question these things? And so again, even when it comes to our own situation, why would we question what God is able to do? Now we get to Mary's response to all this. And it is interesting because uh, as the way uh, what we've seen in, in, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel appears to, to Zacharias, there's a lot of parallels between the angel appearing to Zacharias and the angel appearing to Mary. One of the parallels is they both ask a question. Uh, both ask a question. Zechariah says, well, she says, be? I'm old and Elizabeth is, is old. How is this going to be? And Mary asks the question, how should this be? I've never known a man. And what we see by way of the answer of the angels, we have now, again, the great, the greatest display, we might say, or among the greatest displays of divine omnipotence, and that is the virgin birth. And the language here is beautiful. The language here is wonderful. The language here is sufficient to satisfy every believing soul, but it is, it is restrictive enough in order that mere curiosity will not be satisfied. If you come to this text of Scripture wondering the how of the Incarnation, there are things here that the skeptic will not be able to, to know and understand because God purposely has not given information. But to those who believe that God is Almighty and those who believe that God can do all things and those who believe that no purpose of God can be thwarted, of course, God can bring. Uh, of course, God can bring uh, His Son into this world through 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 the Virgin Birth. Of course, He can. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. For no word of God shall be without power. And so, again, in the passage of Scripture, we have a wonderful picture here. And as I said before, the the imagery here, the picture, it's it's beautiful. Uh, notice how it goes on here in verses uh, uh, 35 and following. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the High shall overshadow thee. There's almost there's almost an element of Hebrew poetry here, in the sense that you have a you have a parallelism with uh, you know two truths uh, uh, brought together, but with something added uh, you know in the expression of it. The power of the highest, again, the, the passage of Scripture, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. What a wonderful expression that you see here. And it's and again, the, the, the picture that you have, uh, it's often been uh, said, rightly so, that there is something by way of the expression of the picture that looks back to the, create, to, to, to the original creation when the Spirit of God hovered or brooded over of the created order. And again, the Spirit of God is the life-giving Spirit. Something of the same thing is pictured here. The other thing that's interesting is this. When it says that the Spirit of God shall come upon thee, again, that idea of brooding over. There is that, there is that creative and, and omnipotent uh, uh, mystery that's there. 
But not only that, but, but uh, the angel goes on to say, and the, and the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. This is the same language that's used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, on the day of Pentecost, when the power of God, when the power of the Spirit of God comes upon the waiting church. Oh, you see, the power of God to bring about the miraculous. What does Christmas remind us of? Christmas reminds us of the divine power of God to bring about his purposes. Again, you see, with God, nothing is impossible. For with God, no word shall, none of his words shall be without power. Yes. And so in this passage of scripture, we have this wonderful picture. And as I said before, uh, there is much here. Uh, I, I, there is much here that, uh, that we should uh, give attention to. Uh, this drawing near, and, and uh, let me read my notes here. Uh, this drawing near and coming upon is an expression that gives us sufficient insight into the miracle of the virgin birth to satisfy the child of God. But it does not give any details that would satisfy the merely curious. We have in the virgin, what we have in the virgin birth is a true miracle of the first order. It is just as miraculous as creation out of nothing. It is just as miraculous as the resurrection. It is perfectly consistent with the nature of God for believing hearts, but it is too hard to fathom for unbelieving hearts because unbelieving hearts, again, will not so much, it's not even that they, will, that they will submit their minds to the word of God. They will not submit their hearts to the will of God. That's the issue you see. One man has properly said that unbelief is not unbelief is not intellectual. Unbelief is moral. There's a stubbornness and a refusal to believe, and, and men are morally culpable for that. And that brings us lastly now to Mary's response. And it's a beautiful response, isn't it? And there's a sense in which I want to say this about the response, uh, uh, what we see in this passage of Scripture. Mary has her questions, doesn't she? Not everybody, again, we might say, uh, 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 answered uh, uh, the, the way that Abraham did. Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had, had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, Mary gets there, we might say, that, might, might say it that way. But what I want you to see is this. Even those who are highly favored and even those who are blessed, who are, blessed are sometimes perplexed by the greatness of the promises of God. And so in your perplexities, when it comes to the things that God has promised, don't be too unsettled by that. Don't stay there. I'm going to set before you what Mary does so that we might move on to this fullness of faith. But again, even those most highly favored and blessed are sometimes perplexed by the things that God has promised. But all of her questions, if I can say it this way, all of her questions are resolved in the act and in the attitude of humble faith. Do you see what she says? Be it unto me according to thy word. Here I am, the handmaid, the servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. All of her questions were all kind of put out of perspective and all they didn't have to be worried about. Why? Because God's word is not without power. With God, all things are possible. No word of God shall be without power. That's what Christmas reminds us of. Hey, we're getting ready for Christmas, right? Gifts are going to be exchanged. Joy is going to be experienced. Fun is going to be had. But I want you to know and understand that Christmas reminds us that God brings his almighty and omnipotent power to bear in our situation. No word from God shall be without power. Well, again, in this passage of Scripture, then, we've been presented with the omnipotence of God, both in the way it's presented throughout the totality of Scripture and also as we see it specific to the text, uh, in the text, it's probably highlighted by way of the great act of the incarnation and the virgin birth. You've seen it also in the preservation of the line of David throughout history. But I want to, again, make some applications to our present situation. 
And the first thing that I would ask by way of application is the following. I would ask you this. Please see Christmas as an expression of the omnipotence of God bringing to pass all that he promised. See Christmas as an expression of the omnipotence of God. Yes, we often see Christmas as an expression of the goodness of God. Perfect. Nothing wrong with that. But in this passage of Scripture, it's the omnipotence of God that comes to the forefront. And therefore, see Christmas in that light. See it as the omnipotence of God making the impossible possible in order to bring about your salvation and my salvation. The next point of application then would be this. Apply this truth to your circumstances. Apply the reality of the omnipotence of God to your circumstances. First of all, apply it to your salvation. Your salvation, as I said earlier, do you think that, do you do you view your salvation as merely a religious decision that you have made at a pivotal time in your life where you decided that I'm going to be a disciple or I'm going to follow Jesus or I'm going to be religious or I'm going to I remember when I was I remember when 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 I was first clearly presented with the gospel my first response was okay I'm going to try to clean up my life and to the to the young man's credit who, who, who led me to Christ, he, he took me to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He says, and not by works of righteousness, which we have done, it's by his grace and by his mercy have saved us. And, but what was my response to, to, to the message of the God? I'll clean up my life. Don't you see, cleaning up my life would not have been an act of God's power upon me. It would have been a religious decision that I made. But my salvation and your salvation, again, is an expression of omnipotence displayed on your behalf in order that you might be saved from your sins. The problem is we don't see ourselves as that wretched and needing a miracle to be saved. That's the problem with so much of, of humanity today. I hope and I pray that it's not a problem in the church of Jesus Christ. I hope and I pray again, 1 Timothy 1.15, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am chief. So again, apply this to your <coughs> salvation. But also... Apply to your, to your situations. Apply divine omnipotence to your salvation, but apply divine omnipotence to your situations. And understand the following. Under, say, what, say, say what Job said. I know that thou canst do all things. Say again what the Lord Jesus said. Say amen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, when he said, with God all things are possible. Identify and say amen to what to the word of the angel in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, when he says, For no word of God shall be without power. Amen. That's Christmas. Merry Christmas, by the way. And God bless you all. Amen. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, grant us to us, we pray, uh, this perspective on the incarnation and on the birth of our Lord. Help us to see this. Help us to see your great display of of almighty and omnipotent power in bringing about our salvation. Heavenly Father, in this passage you said through the angel that the Holy Spirit would come upon Mary. In the book of Acts, we read that the Holy Spirit came upon your church. In this Christmas season, we pray, may your Holy Spirit come upon us afresh and may we do the very work that you've called us to do. And we ask, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.